Let's talk to Professor Annan Menon, Director of UK in a Changing Europe, to find out what he makes of it all. Annan, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Hi, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. I mean, here we are. I mean, we, you and I have had many of these conversations, right, over time. <laughs> and uh, to be honest, I'm not sure the, what the point of Boris going there today is. Um, what do you think the point of it is? Well, at its simplest, the point is that the negotiators have got as far as they can get. And they need a degree of permission from their political leaders to get a bit more wiggle room. That's mm. saying the mandate we've got is too narrow. There is no overlap with the other side's mandate. We need our mandate to be changed so that we can have an agreement. Now, what's interesting about the meeting today is Ursula von der Leyen doesn't get to change the EU's mandate. Mm. She depends on the member states to do that. Right. So I, I think the point today is for Boris Johnson to say, this is what we need. She might take that to the European Council meeting tomorrow, try and get their mandate shifted a little bit. And on the back of that, the negotiators might be able to find a bit of common ground. Yeah, because this is what I see as a kind of a macro conversation and leaving the micro conversations to the others, yeah. right? So Michel Barnier is looking for some indication um, that there is a slight change in, in, in direction and then they can go from there. But, but I mean, having taken four years to get to this point, it just seems to me that there isn't really uh, any wiggle room left, is there? Well, yes and no. I mean, bear in mind we haven't. I mean, we haven't strictly speaking taken four years to get to this point because we we spent the first three three years plus dealing with the divorce issues, the withdrawal agreement. So right. this negotiations only been going on since this time last year. Right. But yeah, I think it is pretty clear that there are some fundamental differences of principle between the two sides. That being said, and unlike previous uh, Brexit deadlines, we've reached what Alex Ferguson used to call squeaky bum time. <laughs> Something has to happen this yeah. week. Otherwise, it's hard to see how a deal can be done. Well, except the EU, of course, yesterday said, um, of course, you know, if we can't reach an agreement this week, it may well be that we can extend the deadline because that's what they've always done. I mean, I mean I've never known more deadlines to be extended. You know, if it was an analogy to football, uh, you'd have had extra time, you'd have had penalties, and then you've had another extra time, and you'd have some more penalties, and you'd be back into the third extra time uh, thinking about penalties again. I suppose so. I mean, you know, if you want to extend the analogy, you're hoping for a golden goal this evening. Right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think, yes, there's a degree of flexibility. The EU, I think, might struggle legally to extend this transition phase for very long after mm. the 31st of December. What I mean by progress this week is if von der Leyen and Boris Johnson manage to find some common ground and say, OK, in principle, we can both agree on that. They can send it back to the negotiators who will come up with something, I imagine, over the week, either over the weekend or early next week. I don't think a deal will be done this week, but I think the two leaders today can put in place conditions under which a deal could possibly be done in a few days time. Yes. And so as far as those uh, people in this country are concerned, you know, the Brexiteers who want to see no deal is better than a bad deal, um, what mm -hmm. do you think they're going to be saying later on tonight? Do you think they're going to be happy, sad, indifferent, um, disappointed? What are, you going to, what are you going to predict? Well, I think you've got to bear in mind, firstly, there are different sorts of Brexiters, aren't there? Yes. There are Brexiters who want us to get no deal. There are Brexiters who actually would have been happy with a far closer economic relationship. Mm. So I think what's going to happen is people are going to look at what is agreed. And one of the interesting things, of course, is between announcements and details of what was agreed, there's always a time lag. So think back to yesterday. 
the UK and the EU agreed on the principles to govern the Northern Ireland Protocol in the Joint Committee. This was hailed as a success. What we haven't got yet is the details of what they've agreed, and I think there are some Brexit-supporting MPs in the Conservative Party who are keeping their eyes peeled for those details just to check that, in their opinion, the government hasn't given too much away to the EU in terms of the checks we're going to have between GB and yeah. NI. And I think something similar will happen today. Boris Johnson might come out and say, he, he might come out and say no agreement was possible, but equally he might come out and say, we've had a fruitful exchange, we've got a basis for future negotiations, those will be ongoing, and not actually give us the details. Yes. I mean, is he in a kind of a cleft stick here? Because at the end of the day, there are those who voted for Brexit, uh, particularly those perhaps in the new blue wall up north uh, who wanted to leave the European Union more than they wanted anything else in the world. They're disappointed mm-hmm. with Boris about lots of other things, disappointed with his response to COVID, disappointed with the Tier 3 scenario that they've been stuck in. And now, Mm-hmm. This is like the only chance he's got to kind of redeem himself, if you like. Um, is it not the case that if he does any kind of negotiating other than just leaving and walking away with whatever he wants to do, that's going to reflect badly on him? I'm not sure. I mean, you can spin that argument both ways, can't you? You can say on the one hand, these people just want it done and actually Boris Johnson walking out this evening, making doing a press conference in front of the commission building saying, I came here, I tried, they yeah. were inflexible, there's nothing more we can do. We'll go down well with some people. Yes. On the other hand, there are those, even amongst the Brexiters, who think that Boris Johnson should get a deal because that would make trading with the European Union easier once we're out and will, I think, be upset if he, ma- if he fails to get a deal. A lot of voters, I think, after the election campaign last year thought getting a deal will be quite straightforward, and I think some of them are a little bit surprised that this hasn't been done already. Yes, I think that's probably true. And as far as the uh, the French are concerned, um, there's been a lot of sabre-rattling over the last week or so uh, from Emmanuel mm-hmm. Macron over the fishing, but also over other things as well. Uh, is that all going to go, is that all kind of, uh, you know, fire and brimstone and bluster? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, you know, bear in mind the French vetoed our first ap- our first couple of applications to join the European community back in the 1960s, so they're not averse to chucking their veto about. Shame we didn't and, walk away then. <laughs> well, you know. And, uh, well, what happened was General de Gaulle left, so we had a different French president who wasn't going to veto. Right. I mean, the French changed their minds rather than us on yeah. that occasion. But, you know, he's got politics too. President Macron needs, if he's going to sign up to a deal, he needs to sign up to a deal. He can turn around to the French people, including the people of Calais and the French fishermen, and say, this is a really good deal for you people. If he doesn't think the deal fits that, he's not going to sign it. No. And so as far as the next stage goes, I mean, obviously we all are expecting January, uh, December 31st, rather, to be sort of D-Day, if you like. Um, What do you think is going to happen in January? Because, you know, you've always been a relatively sane voice on all of this. I mean, you're one of the few people, Alan, that I think I can trust to be completely and utterly neutral, uh, of which there are very few. I think... You know, the fact of the matter is, if you're fundamentally changing your trading relations with your nearest and closest trading partner, there is going to be some disruption because no one can anticipate exactly what's going to happen and put the systems in place to do it. That's been made even worse by the fact that governmental and business attention has been completely distracted by COVID this year, which means that there has been less in the way of preparation than there otherwise would have been. So, yeah, there are going to be uh, shots of lorries tailing back at uh in in early january i mean the bigger question in a way is how long that lasts Mm. and that i don't think anyone knows but the government has you know hired charter planes and the like so there are contingency plans in place to minimize the impact it will have on us yeah i think that you're absolutely right i think the point about how flexible and how easily uh it is for this country to kind of adapt to whatever it is that's changed uh will be the key won't it well yeah i mean i think you know you can turn that argument you can say 
if it isn't disruptive in the short term, what the hell was the point of doing it? The right. point was doing it was we have this very, very close relationship with the European Union that some people thought was too close and they wanted to be free of it. Well, actually, if nothing happens when we leave, it kind of begs the question, you know, what was the fuss about? Yeah, exactly right. I think that's very, very true. Professor Annan Menon, thank you very much indeed, Director of the UK uh, in a Changing Europe.